You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Osprey Oriel Lake, founder and executive director of the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, We Can International. I'm very connected to nature and the natural world. I was very fortunate to grow up in a small town in Northern California on the coast of Mendocino County in the town of Mendocino. And that experience really led me to building a relationship with the natural world, particularly the ocean and the redwoods, the beautiful redwood trees that are the tallest trees in the world that are on the coast there. And at that time, there was and and still is quite a bit of, you know, deforestation going on with logging operations. And I quickly learned the contrast between having this incredible, beautiful place that I was privileged to grow up and at the same time see that the way that humanity is living right now in extractive industries and a very consumptive lifestyle was destroying the very places that I had come to love so dearly. So that really began my journey into questioning, you know, how are we living with the natural systems and why are we so out of balance and how we have become, you know, not an enhancing force with nature as a dominant society but one that is really very destructive to the natural systems. And I say the dominant society because, of course, there are many indigenous peoples around the world who are not in that worldview and have been fighting and struggling for decades and decades to protect the natural systems. And I've had a lot of indigenous mentors over the years because in the process of this work, of of working to protect water, land, climate, and communities, that naturally has led me to Indigenous leadership because of their uh, incredible care for the natural systems and their worldviews. And I will say that, you know, it's so important to highlight that 80% of all the biodiversity left on Earth is in the lands and hands of Indigenous peoples. So I think we have a tremendous amount to learn from them about their stewardship, but also about their cultural life ways and things that we have really lost in our modern society. And I think it's so important that we have Indigenous values, Indigenous rights, and also understand wherever we live, we are living on Indigenous lands. And how can we really respect that those lands often have been stolen from Indigenous peoples and really learn about the Indigenous peoples in the communities where we live because they're continuing to work and struggle to to protect their territories, their lands, and uh, the forests and waters for, for all of us. And I think that one of the things that I've learned from a lot of Indigenous leaders that I've had the honor to spend time with is a really renewing this understanding that we're all relatives, that the water and the forest and the air and the mountain and all of the animals, wherever we live, we are relatives. We have a relationship with our human and non-human family. And it's really different when we hold this view that the river is our relative, is our part of our family. And so how would we treat mother nature in a different way if we understood again that we are all relatives and we have this relationship and this reciprocal responsibility to care for the life-giving systems, the sacred systems of life. And it reminds me of something that beautiful Maori indigenous elder told me when I was in New Zealand a couple of years ago. I traveled there with a delegation to learn more about how they view rights of nature and how nature needs rights as much as human needs rights. 
And in the Maori world, they really see the, the Dacha world, as I say, as, as relatives, as, as many indigenous peoples do. And specifically, they were able to generate a law with the New Zealand government around the Wanganui River to recognize the Wanganui River relative as a being that has personhood in essence to have those same rights that people have. And so I went to the river when, with this wonderful elder and when we were there by the river, she said, we have a saying in our culture that I am the river and the river is me. I am the river and the river is me. And she was expressing to me how they not metaphorically or symbolically, but literally see the Wanganui River as their ancestor, that they come from this ancestor and that they are there to attend to and care for the health of their ancestor. And I think it's just such a healthy way to view our natural world because we are all one family. We have evolved from these natural systems biologically. And when we view the natural world as our ancestor, as our relative, it, it completely transforms you know, how we treat the natural environment. I think that a lot of our words and language have been very influenced by this separation from nature narrative that we see in the Bible as an example. And that influence is very patriarchal, is again, as I say, very separate from nature. There's a lot of language about dominion over nature that humans are above nature. And this hierarchical perspective of, of whether it's patriarchy, men being more important than women or humans above nature has, has been a very deleterious development in the human experiment, if you would. And I think that this is something that we are now seeing the manifestation of in so many of the socio-ecological harms that we're facing, including racism. The fact of this hierarchical structure of white supremacy, I think, is also derived from this idea that we see since you know, biblical times of, of there being this one male transcendent God. And I think that has, has created a lot of disconnection from the natural world because it's this transcendent God that's not here embodied in, in the water that we drink and the food that we eat and connected to our bodies. There's a historical relationship between the violence against the earth and violence against women. And this stems from these patriarchal ideologies that we have been living in for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I think when we begin to heal our relationship with nature, we also heal our relationship with women because those two violations have been intertwined for quite some time. And I, I, you know, I've just returned, as I was mentioning to you earlier, from the COP26 negotiations in Glasgow. And I, I think we need to understand these historical relationships and, and how they play out today and, and to realize that they are completely intertwined. As just, just to give a very practical example, at the, the recent climate talks, we can deliver a call to action for women and feminists around the world, representing millions of people outlining in explicit detail a feminist analysis. And when, when the COP26 leadership was first designed a year ago, it only consisted of men. If you can imagine here in this day and age, uh, when we were going to have the world come together to talk about the biggest crisis of our time, the climate crisis, they had only men at their leadership role in the presidency. 
And we were uh, able to work with several other organizations to advocate for further women's leadership. And it has, and it did grow, but still, you know, even in these international talks, we see, you know, that the percentage of women at the table is quite low still. And without women at the table, we don't have the representation of who needs to be sitting at the table, who's being impacted first and worst, and what their solutions are. Because at the same time that women are impacted first and worst, many United Nations studies, as well as others around the world, actually show we can't get to sustainability without women. You can't actually get to where we want for our future generations, you know, from the heart of ongoing fossil fuel resistance movements in Canada and the United States, to struggles to protect the boreal and Amazon and Congo Basin forests, and, and hundreds of places in between, women really do stand on the front lines of global efforts to defend the land and heal our world, you know, in every sector from renewable energy initiatives to fossil fuel divestment campaigns to agroecology, women are really at the helm working to change humanity's current trajectory. And, and we really need to have their voices and solutions and expertise heard. There are so many different women's networks and feminist networks that are so vibrant in countries all over the world. And I, I will say, I would say women and gender diverse relatives, because, you know, we're talking also about women, but also people across the gender spectrum, because there's a lot of two-spirit and non-binary leaders within our networks as well. So I just want to be really inclusive in that way, in this discourse. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.